Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles when away. When arrived, they found the telephone we have a, and electricity lines. The weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. Morning. Cup of murder. When the police are in your pocket, it's easy to quite literally get away with murder. On October 25th, 1879, a monster, the butcher of Hanover, the wolfman, the vampire of Hanover, was born. So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Frederick Heinrich Karl Harman, or Fritz, was born on October 25, 1879, in Hanover, Germany. He was a quiet child who preferred the company of females, especially his own mother who doted on her youngest child and played with dolls more than the standard activities of, of boys his age. His father was known to be a short-tempered authoritarian who was unfaithful to his wife and treated his family with cruelty. The coddled child went off to school in 1886, where at just eight years old, he was molested by one of his school's teachers. With his parents' consent, he finished school shortly after, and by the time he was 15, he had enrolled in a military academy and set out to become the perfect soldier. And for a while, it seemed he would achieve his goal. He excelled in the beginning of his military schooling, but about five months into his service, began to suffer lapses in consciousness and had to discharge himself and return to his parents' home in Hanover. Once he was back home, something within him went dark, and he committed his first known sexual offense at just 16 years old. He would lure young boys into a secluded area and assault them before letting them run off. This, of course, eventually led to an arrest in 1896, and Fritz was sent to a mental institution for the first time. It was determined that he was, quote, incredibly deranged and could not stand trial. Instead, he was remanded to the institution indefinitely. He escaped on May 28, 1897, and, with the help of his mother, fled to Zurich, Switzerland, where he remained for 16 months before coming back to Hanover. The next year, in another attempt to turn his life around, he met and became engaged to a woman named Erna, who soon became pregnant with his child. That same year, he got a notification to perform his compulsory military service and deployed to Colmar. And like before, he soon established a reputation for being an exemplary soldier and would later describe this time as the happiest in his entire life. But after collapsing during an exercise about a year into his service, he was hospitalized for four months and deemed unsuitable for military service. He was dismissed in July of 1902. 
Distraught about his discharge, he returned to his fiance and, with the help of his father, opened a fishmongery with Erna. Not long after his return, Erna, pregnant with his child, ended their long engagement or marriage. The accounts differ on their marital status. After he accused her of having an affair with a student. And with the business being in her name, Erna simply asked him to leave the premise. So with no money, no partner, no job, and no prospects, Fritz lived for the next decade off of his pension and petty crimes, serving several short prison sentences. He established criminal contacts and began trade in contraband property. And because of the desperate need for assistance, the police were accepting assistance from anyone they could even known criminals using this to their advantage. Fritz became a fixture in the Hanover station and regularly patrolled the area using his power to access young boys, all while harboring dark fantasies. Fritz Harmon first turned these fantasies into reality when he met 17-year-old Friedel Roth, who disappeared on September 27, 1918, and was last seen with Fritz. When police raided his apartment, they found him in the company of a different 13-year-old boy. Not only was pedophilia obviously illegal, but so was homosexuality at the time. But Fritz was their informer, a guy who they all knew. So he was only charged with sexual assault and battery of a minor and sentenced to nine months in prison, a sentence he avoided serving until March of 1920. And what they wouldn't find out until years later was that had they searched the apartment a little bit more thoroughly, they would have found Fridell's severed head wrapped in a newspaper and stowed behind his stove. That October, he met an 18-year-old runaway named Hans Granz. While Hans initially only solicited Fritz to earn some money, the two eventually became live-in lovers and Fritz saw him as a son that he groomed to perfection. Together, the pair moved into a ground floor apartment alongside the Lina River, a river that would become incredibly important. At this address, Fritz and Hans lured four young men into the apartment, fed and lulled into security before Fritz would lunge forward and bite their Adam's apples or strangle them to death. He sometimes bit completely through the trachea in what he referred to as love bites. Their bodies were then dismembered and thrown into the river. In total, over the course of about six years, Fritz Harmon killed a minimum of 27 young men, all between the ages of 10 and 22. And the items they left behind? Those were sold on the black market network that Fritz was so familiar with, or even to some legitimate retailers, or given as gifts to family and friends. By 1923, he was living in a single-room attic apartment and killed eight more, and by 1924, added an additional 11. His final victim was a 17-year-old boy who he met at the Hanover Station on June 14, 1974. But just a month before this, two children playing near the Lina River found a human skull. Two weeks later, a second skull, and two more on June 13th, and a number of random bones in between. Finally, after draining the river and finding more than 500 bones and sections of bodies all bearing knife striations, came the manhunt for the person responsible. In total, they found remains belonging to 22 individuals, all at various stages of decomposition. Almost immediately, Fritz Harmon became a suspect. He was known by police as a homosexual male with a penchant for younger boys, 
and had various child molestation and sexual assault charges dating all the way back to 1896. Not only that, but he had been connected to Friedel's murder, his first victim, though he was never charged. He was placed under surveillance on June 18, 1924. Just four days later, he was observed by undercover officers arguing with a 15-year-old boy named Carl Frome. After the fight ended, Fritz went to a police officer and insisted that they arrest him for traveling with forged documents. He was, and in custody, Carl said that he'd been living with Fritz for days and that the man had repeatedly raped him, sometimes with a knife to his throat. Fritz was arrested and charged with sexual assault. Now in custody, police were able to get into his apartment and search the place. What they found was floors, walls, and bedding covered in bloodstains. But Fritz had an answer for that. Part of his black market dealing was in illegal meat. That he simply used his home as a makeshift slaughterhouse. With this excuse came an uncooperated, but likely true, rumor that Fritz Harmon's illegal meat did not come from animals at all. Also inside were a number of personal effects that they believed may have belonged to some of his victims. These items were eventually placed in the police station and family members of missing boys were invited to come look at items and identify if it belonged to any of their loved ones. Many did, including items that were identified as belonging to a boy who had been missing since being seen with Fritz and whose skull was found in a garden. They interviewed various acquaintances and neighbors, who all commented on the number of young boys who were seen with Fritz, and one even followed him to find him dumping bags into the Lina River. It was looking like, without a doubt, that Fritz Harmon was their monster. At his sister's insistence, Fritz confessed to killing and dismembering the young boys in a fit of rapid sexual passion. When asked, he said his victim count was nearly 50 to 70 young boys though he insisted their deaths were accidental and some at the insistence of his young lover, Hans Granz. To this day, it's hard to know how much Hans was really involved. Was he simply an accomplice, a spectator, a willing participant, or the ringleader? According to Hans himself, he simply knew about the murders, but did not participate in his lover's sick fantasies. Fritz Harmon was charged with 27 murders and the trial for both men began on December 4, 1924. Who insisted on representing himself, admitted and pleaded guilty to 14 of the charges against him, but he said he couldn't remember the others. Hans pleaded not guilty to his charges of being an accessory to several of the murders. The trials lasted two weeks, saw 190 witnesses, and on December 19, 1924, both men were found guilty of their charges and both sentenced to death. Fritz willingly took his verdict, while Hans became hysterical. After making no appeals for his life, Fritz Harmon willingly walked to the guillotine on April 15, 1925, and after serving a 12-year sentence, Hans was extra-legally interned to a concentration camp and, following the conclusion of the Second World War, lived in Hanover until his death in 1975. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on October 26th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.
Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This daily true crime podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching Morning Cup of Murder. I'd love it if you stopped by and said hi. Stay safe.